Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. He's with a man! He's gone to give him out and then he's rubbed his nose. <laughs> yeah. What about to McCullum? Shane? He might be trying to shake the sweep one after that first one. He might try and slide one in there. Fast. Hello and welcome to the SC Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Williams, here for the final episode of the Big Bash season before we kick off our NRL content uh, and podcast, which I'm bloody keen to do, I won't lie, as great as the Big Bash has been. Here with me today is the one and only Michael Fisher, Fish, who has found a bit of form of late. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm pretty good, Timmy. Have I got you covered in the rankings at the moment? I believe you do, mate. I, I thought I was going to jump above you, but uh, what are you at at the moment? Uh, somewhere in the 700s. Yeah, I'm, I'm into 949. So, mate, on your heels and with a shite load of uh, trades to play with, yep. mate, it's a good run home. Yeah, true, mate. True. I gotta, yeah, gotta hold out. You've been, you've been there or there about all season. So fingers crossed, mate. Mate, and the other one is he, not here today, but uh, Tomo, last year's champ. He was, I don't know what he was lingering at, but he's been been putting us to the sword all season. He was, uh, he's around that. I think last week he might have been around that two or three hundred mark, which might be a little bit optimistic with four rounds to go. But mate, I think we can gun down Tomo as well. Yeah, he's been poor by his standards. <laughs> Mate, um, what has been going right and wrong for the side on that note? Yeah, so I got on a really good run for a couple of weeks there on the likes of sort of Jason Berendorf and picked Jai Richardson for his big game as captain, which was awesome to watch. Then, so I got as high as the 500s. Then this week had a bit of a poor week. It was probably summed up by my final trade. I was sitting there with about 10 minutes to go, bouncing between either trading Finch to Meredith or Maxwell to Ellis. And just oh, how stupid does no. that sound in, in hindsight? So, obviously, I think it was the first over, Finch skied one off Meredith and it's one of those awkward moments as a fantasy coach where you're just hoping for this bizarre outcome of a drop catch, which didn't happen. And then Maxi went huge, which I knew was coming as soon as I traded him out. So, it's been a bit of a common theme for me this season that the trouble with Big Bash I've had is because there's so little time between rounds... I, I often end up in this situation kind of not long before a lockout where I've still got a decision to make. And I, I've really made my best decisions when 
I've just given my t- myself a little bit of time to think and not had my finger hovering over the trade button. So that's definitely a learning for me from this season. Yeah, nice, mate. The um, Funny you mentioned the Maxi one. We, we chatted in our, our private sort of SC playbook group about our trades and I think you, the spy, and Tomo all traded out Maxi. I was just on the fence doing it that night as well and I had to work out if I was trading Maxi or Zamps purely from a one-week cash grab situation. I was about to hit the trigger on Maxi and I traded Zampa instead. Zamps who got bugger all and then Maxi went out and went big. I, I, just, I did not have it in me to trade Maxi, but... Mate, he wasn't hadn't bowled the last game or two. Yeah, um, you know, batting at four for the stars, he had a break even of about one seventy odd. The trade made sense. Um, I was just lucky enough that I had Zampi in my team with an equally high break even, so I could I could do him. But mate, that um, that Maxi one would have hurt you. Yeah, I held Zampa as well because yeah. Maxi wasn't bowling. So, mate, yeah. uh, that that's why you nearly caught me. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was a funny round round thirteen. We had just. Pretty well, all the big dogs went big. There was Hales, Marnus, Maxi, Darcy Short, all went massive. Um, for myself, I had Livingston, who's just been – he's been massive for me. I, I was lucky enough to VC him, so I was able to loop his 70-odd. Um, and if I didn't do that, it would have been Captain Stoyner. So I got out of jail there a little bit. Uh, brought Swepson in a couple of weeks ago, and he's been good for me. I brought in Evans at the Renegades, the young fella – didn't play him in my team. It was purely a cash grab, but scored 138 and went up 50K, so massive money uh, for this week. And the only sort of downside from last round was McDermott, who I brought in after his la- his last big score and has just done nothing for me since. So, um, But not too much to complain about at the moment. Um, yeah. Yep. Pretty good, Timmy, uh, mate. You can't get them all. Yeah. yeah exactly right, mate. I'm like, the streak will end soon. I'm due, due for a down week. Uh Mate, let's, in today's episode, we're going to just, uh, have a quick explainer on, on how the final system in Supercoach works. Uh, we've got a, a, going to look at the key matchups to target in Big Bash finals. Fish, you've got some real good uh, stats to look at there for us. And then we're going to go ahead and do a team-by-team analysis of the five remaining sides. We'll go into our bold predictions, and then we'll look at our skippers for the next couple of rounds. As I did say, it will be the last Big Bash Supercoach podcast of the season. So, uh, yeah, we'll cover those five teams in a bit of detail. We'll start off with just a really quick explainer. There's been a lot of conjecture I've seen on social media about how the finals do work in Supercoach. Pretty simple, but, um, I mean, admittedly, I had to look it up as well just to confirm um, what I, I thought because it is a little bit tricky. There's four rounds beginning in round 14, which is this week. Uh, There's two games in round 14, and then the final three rounds, so obviously 15 through to 17, uh, there's one one game in each of those rounds. We have unlimited trades for those four rounds, so don't stress too much about, uh, you know, cash generation and break-evens and all that sort of stuff unless you have bugger or money in your side. Unlimited trades to use, and in this round with two games, your non-playing reserves, um, so guys from the, obviously the, if there's any, you wanted to pick any stars, renegades or hurricanes and use them for loophole opportunities, they lock out in terms of you can't trade them in or out or turn them all around, move them around in your side at the beginning of game two of round 14. So be aware of that if you did want to use them for the loophole, which you sh- we should all be doing and looking at pretty hard. Uh, Fish, I'll throw to you, mate. Matchups are a massive, massive factor in Supercoach and getting them right 
you found some good stats for us. Fire away with the ones that you've been looking at for round 14 and the run home in general. Yeah, for sure. And just to clarify, Timmy, with those uh, looping players, I think in previous years it has uh, locked out at the time of the second game. Uh, so uh, fingers crossed that <laughs> continues to be the case. I haven't been delving into the rules, but we, we should be pretty safe there, I'd say. Um, uh, but if anyone wants to double check, uh, it never hurts. Um, yeah, good chat. And uh, yeah, in terms of the matchups, so I think there's two ways of looking at that, particularly for this coming round where there's two matches on. Uh, firstly, looking at the the teams, and, and then looking at more player by player basis. But looking at the teams, there's a bit of kind of daily fantasy theory which I think applies here. You've got to pick the matchups or the players from the teams that are probably likely to win and win well because I'll be more likely to naturally take runs and score wickets. So two games, kicking off with the Strikers and the Heat. I had a look at that. The Strikers have defeated the Heat twice this season. The first match was that close run out for Steckity when Jimmy Pearson went on and scored 60 not out, I think. It's about 149 to 148 strikers winning. But at the time, the Heat had no Chris Lynn, no Marnus, and no Lewis Gregory. So a few of their gun players were out, and they were still able to get it down to the final ball. And that match was at the Gabba, where this yep. match will be Swepson, played. Swepson, Joe Denley, completely. Swepson, yep, yep, Denley, all yeah. out. Yeah, so completely different team. That being said, the last time they played the strikers, the strikers destroyed them, won by about 80 runs. That was Marnus's first match back and he was kind of finding his feet a little bit. Still managed to grab two wickets and 20 or so runs, but the strikers won by 80, mainly thanks to Alex Kerry scoring a ton and that one was at the Adelaide Oval. So I think even though the strikers have got the two wins against the Heat this season, the Heat do have a fair bit of form coming in and at the Gabba, they probably uh, can be considered favourites. Uh, personally, I think they, they will win, but it's always touch and go in the pressure environment of, of finals and uh, the Heat have kind of been knocked out in the final rounds of series on many occasions. So as a Heat fan, hopefully that doesn't happen again. And Yeah. Yeah, yeah, n- yeah no, in terms of the scorches and sixes, the I think it was uh, one apiece in terms of that. Interestingly, the Scorchers smashed them by about 100 when they were playing at home at Perth and the Sixers then won a game at Manuka Oval with about a over to, over to spare when Josh Phillippe racked up 80 not out. He, he loves the, the ACT ground there. So I personally think that match is going to be pretty even. They're, they're two pretty good squads. I mean, the Scorchers are absolutely stacked, but again, this game is at Monica Oval, so that kind of plays to the advantage of the Sixers. So that one's a little more hard to predict for mine, and I'll be happy to kind of pick players from both those sides where there's a few guns available. What are your thoughts on those matchups, Timmy? Yeah, mate, it's all good points you make, and I mean the one that screams at me this round is just that road of a deck at Monica Oval. We've seen so many big scores there. Uh, and there was a couple of batters from that game that I wanted to antipod this round, such as Philippe. But as you said, Philippe, for for one player, for example, we know he loves the ACT. Who doesn't? And 
it's just hard not to have him on a deck like that. And I think I'll probably be opting for bowlers uh, in the other game at the Gabba just due to the, the decks. Not that the Gabba's a bad deck at all, but by comparison to Monica, it's something to be uh, pretty conscious of, but I think particularly for batters. And, I mean, I'll touch on a point that the spy made in his article this week when we talk about head-to-head clashes and matchups. Um, not something to live and die by in Supercoach, but particularly in cricket, you think all the times you've got one of your key bowl, a bowler rolling the arm over to one of your batters and you're thinking, oh, geez, well, I prefer the wicket to the bowler or, or you know, the batter to stay in there and get more runs. Um, and they kind of cancel each other out if the bowler gets your batter out. Um, so I think look at matchups like Philippi and Jai Richardson, for example, where Richo's been one of the most economical, high-wicket-taking bowlers of the competition. Um, that might put you off someone like Philippi this round because we know Richo's going to open the bowling. He'll probably start off with two overs at Philippi. Um, if he gets him out, you know, it kind of counteracts each other. Um, so matchups like this are very worth noting and, and making mention of. Uh, and on the flip side, guys like Jason Berendorf, who also opens the bowling for the Scorchers, who will be bowling to Philippi on that Marnish Oval Road. Philippi comes out in the, in the power play and takes 15 off Berendorf's first over. It can kill his economy rate bonus. And it's just worth worth noting that maybe you go Philippi and bowlers from another game or that will bowl later in the innings, or you avoid Philippi and, and go Berendorf and Richardson. I mean, hopefully that makes sense to you, Fish, but it, uh, I think the spy made a really good point of it. Yeah, mate, you've already got me reconsidering my team. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah it's, yeah, it's a real tricky one. And, uh, yeah, I think you, you want that balance of if everything goes right for you, you're going to go massive with a, a big super coach score mm. this round as well as trying to offset some of the risk of some of the key players. So, yeah, really um, really interesting round we've got coming up, I think. Yeah, it is. And I'll, <clears throat> I think, yeah, on that, that final note on the matchups, I'm, I'm going to be targeting batters from that Monica Oval matchup and bowlers from the Gabba matchup. Um, guys, are you all done there, Fish? Yeah, uh, just on the, uh, the player matchups, did a bit of research today and came across a pretty interesting side. I've, I've only been playing around with it this morning. So for anyone who's interested, feel free to get in there and test out some of the data. But it's called crickmetric.com, C-R-I-C metric.com if you google that it should come up and you can actually get in there and look at how different players go against different player types so for example i had a look at michael neeser this morning and i I wanted to test how he goes against right-handed batsmen compared to left-handed batsmen because the the heat are stacked full of right-handers so interestingly nessa in his t20 matches has uh an average of 22.7 with the ball against right-handers at an economy of around eight, whereas against left-handers, his average is about 41.8 at an economy of around nine. So it proves my theory that he does go better against right-handers. I think he's got a bit of a natural outswing. And at the Gabba, which is his home track, he's suddenly a player which interests me a fair bit more, albeit that there's some pretty talented batters in that that heat lineup so he's one that I'll be looking at and I also had a look at how the strikers players go against the leg spin because the heat having Swepson and and Marnus might be pretty difficult to to handle and each of Travis Head, Jake Weatherold and Phil Saltz 
all seem to average a lot less against leg spin than any other bowler type. So it's definitely worth getting in there to have a look at. And uh, you can you can search a player and then when you do, on the right-hand side, there's an option for group buy. And when you click on that, you can choose opposing player type. And that's where it'll show you the stats for uh, batting against different types of bowlers and bowling against different types of batters. And anyone who's really keen, uh, you can even look at matchups against specific bowlers, although I haven't gone that far. It um it really is all the rage in T20 at the moment. I, I think I, I've been reading um, a book called Cricket 2.0 and they talk a lot there about how IPL and different franchise coaches have, have been looking to target matchups more and more in T20 because it's such a short format and one over can make all the difference. So, mate, hopefully a couple of tips there. Um, be a little bit careful with the data. Um, I, I did find this morning, for example, that uh, looking at Josh Philippi, he... Uh, when he scored his 80 not out or so, that was at Monica Oval, but the website had it listed at the SCG, which is probably pretty understandable because it was probably a um, a late switch in, in the match. Mm. But, uh, yeah, just uh, be mindful of that. But otherwise, it's something pretty interesting to have a play around with uh, going into these final rounds where matchups are going to be crucial. <laughs> there you go, mate. Yeah, ripping fine. I had a bit of a look at it after you said you found it and there's some awesome, awesome content on there uh, and great stuff that can help you super coach Big Bash. Uh, the stuff on the leggies on the strikers top order, um, really good stuff. And again, it's got me rethinking a few of my selections already. <clears throat> Guys, if you have enjoyed our content this season and w- would be in a position to support the site, you can do so uh, via a donation in the tab in the article holding the site on the podcast. Uh, all the guys put in a lot of time and effort into the website. So any donations are very much welcomed and we're very grateful for them. Um, but of course, at the same time, we do it for the love of the game. So not necessary at all. Guys, let's jump into the team-by-team analysis for the run home of the five remaining sides in the Big Bash. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the must-haves from each team or you know, close enough to the must-haves or the guys that we'll be looking at getting in for our side. We're going to get look at the antipods, which I think are the biggest thing for the run home because there's going to be so many similar teams with limited team there's going to be so many, let me rephrase, there's going to be so many similar super coach teams because there's only a couple of, or one game in the final three rounds, two games in this round. Um, so instead of finding pods, the low ownership guys that will set you apart from the rest of the pack, you look at the guys that are really highly owned and say, no, nah, I don't want them. And if they go low, there's your antipod. So we'll look at a few antipods at each team. <clears throat> uh, and then of course, of course, pods as well. Um, the low ownership guys, uh, which we use the term a little bit loosely again. Pods are normally guys that are under sort of, you know, sort of 15, 20%, but because there's not that many players each round, uh, they'll be a bit higher ownership. Um, yeah, but the the relative pods that we'll be using and looking for this run home. We'll start with the Brisbane Heat and the must-haves there. Uh, Fish, did you find anyone? Yeah, I think they've got a couple actually. I think I'll start with, with Manus Labashane. I think for obvious reasons, he's averaging over 100 in Supercoach. And what surprised me is just how quickly he's taken the T20. Before this BBL, he was averaging 12 with the bat, but I bring him in pretty soon. I just backed that he was going to be good enough to, to transfer across, and he definitely has both with bat and ball. I think uh, Chris Lynn, this season, he's got a, a strike rate bonus in seven out of nine matches. I put that down a lot to him opening the batting. 
where he's in the in the power play and can can get himself in and not have to hit sixes every ball. He can just just find the boundary and then I think Mitch Swepson at the price around 110k and uh, in in pretty good form. Uh, a negative B too, although that's not all that important. I, I see them as three must-haves and, and I see the Heat as probably the team with the most must-haves for this round. Yep, sweet. I had uh, Swepson as well, who I've been raving on about for a couple of rounds now. I've been lucky enough to have him in my side for a couple of good scores. Last two games, two for 20 and two for 26, seriously economical. I think we're, we're starting to see more and more every Big Bash tournament and T20 tournament for that matter, um, just the, the top-class spinners, um, even particularly leggies, who don't give away any trash, any loose balls, um, you know, your Swepsons, your Zampers, they're just having more and more success and becoming more dominant in the short form of the game. Um, and I think Swepson obviously ticks that box as well. Um, just a very, very classy cricketer. So I've got Swepson in there as well. Um, and, I mean, Marnus as well at the price. We've seen what he's been doing. The biggest thing for, for Marnus has just been his bowling. Um, taking wickets being relatively economical. So that on top of being one of the the Best batters in world cricket, I think, you know, pretty hard to ignore there. Uh, mate, any antipods at the Heat? Uh, they're actually the only team who I don't have any antipods for. I, I considered mentioning Steckity, but I actually like him uh, as a as a pod. Um, he may be someone I look to loop, though. So how about you? Mate, controversial one, but Chris Lynn for me. Um no knock at all on Chris Lynn for what he's done, what he will probably and more than likely continue to do. But you look at – I mentioned before how similar teams are going to be for the run home um, throughout the finals, bugger all teams playing. I'm trying to find my pods, not in all-rounders, who, who are obviously safer scorers. You've mentioned it time and time again how uh, batters are probably disadvantaged more under this year's Supercoach scoring system. I'm looking at a guy like Chris Lynn, who I think is going to be 80, probably 85 plus percent ownership this round. If he comes out and scores under 20 runs and scores under 20 points, that is a massive, massive antipod play in Supercoach. Um, yes, there's risk there. Obviously, we know what he can do, but mate, Chris Lynn is an antipod for me. Whether or not I have the guts to go with it, I'm not sure. But at this stage, I'm leaning it on towards leaning, ugh, leaving Chris Lynn out. What do you reckon? Uh, I wouldn't watch the Heat game. <laughs> Yeah, right. I know. Yeah, I'm, no, I, I like your thinking. Yeah, it's um, there's a bold prediction there. I reckon. Yeah, yeah, and oh, that's the thing. I, I'm not. I haven't convinced myself that he's going to go low for any logical reason. It's purely just the antipod. Uh, and I have a pretty similar theme with all my antipods, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, Lewis Gregory's another one who you know he's not going to be massive ownership, but he'll be popular enough. He didn't bowl last game. He batted at six, and I think there's just way too big a risk there. When he gets his opportunity with bat and ball, he's very good. But uh, just with with a now relatively stacked heat side with uh, international players back, the opportunities are few and far between. Uh, mate, pods at the heat. Yep. Uh, so I touched on Steckity. I, I like him. I think he's really come on as a bowler. He's averaging 53 in Supercoach this season, uh, recently selected in the test squad, so should be riding high. And I also like Max Bryan uh, playing at the Gabri. Had a good run of scores in the middle of the season, so I think he is a great option for your emergency loop as a bench batter. Yeah, I had Maxi Bryan as well, mate. He uh, in six of his last ten innings, as he's had gone twenty plus scores for that strike rate bonus. 
that's since December 30. So decent enough form there and consistency. Strike rate of 127 this tournament has been down on his career, which is, I think, up towards 140. Um, but again, as you said, on his home deck up at the Gabba, I do like Maxi Bryant there. And you nailed it. The fact that we can AE loop him if he does score well is the, the perfect exponent of that. Um, moving on to the strikers, mate, any must-haves there? Yeah, I think Alex Carey is a must-have. And I think the reason for that is that you can put him on your bench in the wicketkeeper spot, so you get a free look at him. And uh, the only other option in the first game is Jimmy Pearson, who, who bats too low um, to be selected in the keeper position for mine. So, yeah, I, I couldn't go in without Alex Carey. Mate, the fact that you haven't mentioned him is makes me think that he's going to be your antipod. But my must-have is Travis Head. And, again, maybe somewhat controversial. He's only averaging 32 in his three games so far this season. Um, but he averaged 61 last year. He's another guy. I mean, this whole the whole of the first game, Heat and Strikers, we can AE loop guys that we're a little bit worried about. But I think the fact that Travi Head's rolling the arm over, having a bit of a bowl, we know what his class is like with the bat. I think Travi Head's pretty close to it. Mate, give us your antipod. Uh, is it Travis Head? You nailed it, mate. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> I, I moved him across from the must-haves to the antipod column just – uh, when I started having a look at the matchups this morning, he's another who doesn't go that great against leg spin, but completely agree. Bowling a few overs, he's very enticing. Um, I actually decided to swap him for Nessa. Could very well come back to bite me, um, but that's that's the game. As we said, you've got to take a risk on leaving some people out. And For me, it might be a case of leaving out someone like Travis Head and going with someone like Chris Lynn because I, I think the Heat will win that match. Mm. Mate, do you do you think um, Travis is a lock for a couple of overs or not necessarily? Um, I, d- I don't know that he's a lock, but I, I think he's he's highly likely um, to to get at least one. I think the strikers are a little light on for spin options. They've got Danny Briggs, who's very experienced, but hasn't gone all that great in the big bash. And I think maybe O'Connell is their other spinner. So. Um, they're, they're still trying to fill the void that Rashid Khan's left and uh, Travis Head has probably picked up a little bit of that slack. So I, I would expect to see him bowl. Yeah. Uh, mate, my anti-pod is a guy who I'll declare I, I'm probably going to be picking him in my side, um, but he's another opportunity. And it's the bloke you mentioned above was Alex Carey for must-haves. Uh, just on the same premise that, you know, if he doesn't score runs, he's going to be massive, massive ownership. So if he scores low, gets bugger all points, there's a serious antipod opportunity in Alex Carey. Uh, but the more we talk, I think if you're going to antipod this round, and I think if you want to make up ground and make some jumps in the overall rankings, you have to antipod some pl- some popular players because otherwise everyone's just going to have the same team. Our salary caps and value of our squads are pretty high now that we shouldn't have to miss out on too many guns. Um but I think the antipods are probably better off coming from the Sixers and Scorchers game in round two because of the reason that you just mentioned, mate. Uh, you can AE loop a lot of these guys in game one. In game two, uh, if you antipod, you know, guys like Philippi or Abbott or someone like that, people are going to have them in their starting teams and they won't have that security. So uh, thinking ahead, maybe I'll even do the loops for the second game. Mate, pods at the strikers. Yeah, they've got a wealth of pods, actually, and I suppose that's why we've probably had them in and out of our teams this season. I uh, already spoke about Michael Nessa. Um, caution with him is that he only bowled two overs last game. 
Um, I think he might have got hit out of the attack and, and he can be a little bit expensive at times, but he has been batting at seven, which gives him a, a shot at a strike rate bonus, especially if the strikers bat first. Uh, Dan Worrell's just looked great all tournament with his swing bowling at the start of the innings. Uh, so I could understand those who might want to pick him. He's going to have an interesting matchup against the likes of Chris Lynn and Max Bryant. Um, Peter Siddle scored 87 supercoach points against the Heat last start, and I like his experience in a big game. Um, I probably, of the batsmen, I probably prefer Jake Weatherall because I think his form has been really good since opening up, and he, and he seems to have a good combination with Alex Kerry. Uh, Phil Soltz is cheap enough that you could chuck him on the bench and, and loop him, but I, yeah, again, I don't like his matchups and, and I sort of feel a bit more inclined to go with, with Max Bryant personally. But if you think the strikers are going to win, uh, Phil Salt could be a good shout. Yeah, it's heaps and heaps of pot opportunities and, and could have a big impact on the overall rankings from scoring this round. Uh, a guy who's been overlooked time and time again this season for me, for what reason I don't really know, but he's just Wes Agar who has had very few bad games. He is the third, taking the third most wickets in the BBL this tournament. He's coming off a one last round, which I think will probably scare a few people off. Uh, I think probably the issue with Wes has been that he, his economy has been over eight this tournament. Um, so probably not quite as many economy rate bonuses as others, but taking a stack of wickets. So if you're looking at a guy who might be pretty low ownership, can go big, Wes Agar, don't mind him at all. Good shout. Uh, Matt, yeah, mate, moving on to the sixes, must-haves there. Yep, so I've got Josh Philippe purely on the basis of the games at Monica Oval. I had considered him as an antipod, but I think probably what's going to factor in there a little bit for some people is whether Alex Carey goes large enough that you, you loop him first game. But even so, I'm inclined to pick Philippe as a, as a batter. Uh, you know, those two games that he had at Monica Oval early in the season, he had a 60 and, a, and an 80 run score and nearly tunned up or tunned up in both of those games for super coach purposes. So I think the wise thing to do there is to take him and uh, even if he fails, a majority will have him. So that does make him an antipod opportunity, but I, I don't think he's a good one. I think he's one you want on your side. <clears throat> Uh, I had the exact same. I Initially, I had Philippi written down as an antipod too, and I switched it into a must-have because of that Marnock Oval death. I know we're raving on about it, but um, it really, really does impact the game and in turn Supercoach scoring. So, and and it, the talk about this deck and the confidence and, you know, what you've just said about Philippi and his big scores there, I have Abbott as a must-have because I think he's just an exceptional big bash player. He averaged 85 super coach points last season. He's averaging 70-odd this season across his two games. Um, the, the issue with Abbott is just going to be bowling. Is he going to take wickets on this deck if it's flat as attack? Uh, we'll find out. But I'm inclined not to put Abbott in must-haves anymore and probably Philippi there for that reason as well. So and I think anti-pod opportunities in this game – there's a few bowlers there who are great opportunities. Who have you got, mate? Yeah, so I um, he's been great for my team all season, but I'm not sure what happened with Dan Christian in the last match and, and why he didn't bowl. And the Sixers are so stacked with all-rounders that I'm not certain that he's going to get enough opportunity to, to show his wares. I mean, the, the flip side to that is that 
He's won so many championships that in a big game, he's probably the guy you want with the ball or bat in his hands. So I've still got a bit of thinking to do there, I think, but he is an opportunity because I think he will be quite popular. And Moe Henriques, I think because he's done so well in his first couple of matches, a lot of people are going to jump on him, but uh, batting at four and not bowling, I don't uh, see as much of an appeal for him, even though he's in decent form with the bat. So he's probably one that I'll leave out. Yeah, yeah, I had Dan Christian as well. And uh, he's been a, a, a bit of a tough one for me all season, Christian. I had him for the Sixers double over that period for a couple of weeks. He scored well for me, but um, ultimately he's hurt me by not owning him for the majority of the season. But uh, you know, it's just that the Sixers are so stacked with all rounder options that I mean, if the top order go off and, and bat till deep on the Minecraft deck, um, how many overs does Christian get with the bat? Um, the other thing is, if the Sixers go well in the top order. Maybe Christian gets promoted to, you know, four or five where he's batted before this tournament, obviously, for the last five or six overs on that deck, and there's big opportunity. But even if he does bowl, is he going to take wickets on that deck? Uh, I think there's enough question marks around Christian who's going to be very popular to leave him out as an anti-pod. So I think I'll be doing that. Uh, mate, your pods for this, your pods for the sixes. Yeah, I think Ben Dwarshus is a really good one. He's, he's flown under the radar uh, pretty well all season, but he's averaged nearly 58 super coach points this year, which is up up there with the best of the bowlers. And uh, the only downside with him is, uh, I think with Abbott back, he, he moves down a spot in the batting order and he is capable of some quick runs. Uh, so he's probably less likely to get an opportunity there, but he's been great with the ball and seems to have a, a pretty high floor too. His floor seems to be around sort of 20 or 30 for Supercoach. He pretty well always jags a wicket or uh, has an economy bonus. So he looks great. Um, I had Abbott in the pod column, but he's probably going to be pretty popular. So, um, yeah, whether that's you, you class him as a pod or not, it's a bit difficult to say without the ownership stats, but he is pretty pricey. So maybe everyone may may not get him. Um I think I'll probably go with him uh, just given his Supercoach form. And last season as well as this season, um, and I've got the money to spend, so I'll probably be happy to run with Abbott. How about you, mate? Yeah, Dwarf is for me as well. I think he, a bit like probably Agar, just flown under the radar all year. Um, you mentioned averaging close to 58 there. He's got he's had five scores over 75. He's already had two tons, so his ceiling's high enough. Um, yeah, just a guy who, and, and I feel like he'll be he'll be pretty well overlooked again this round. Although he did score really well last round, so people tend to look at that and and go off uh, one week warriors. But I mean, Dwarshus isn't that. He's been good all season, so I think Dwarshus is a serious pick, and hopefully he's not at too high ownership. Um, big big pick for the Sixers. Hopefully he can uh, jack a bit of movement on that deck in Canberra. I won't hold my hopes, but yeah. um, maybe a few wickets anyway. Uh, mate, the Perth Scorchers, who have, we you know, they started slow this season. They found their form, found their groove. Must haves there. Jai Richardson's probably the obvious one, mate. Anyone else along with Richo? Yeah, look, you almost took me out of him, but I think Jason Berendorf, I mean, he's been so good. What what I like about him is just how he's come on in the back end of the tournament because he, he was coming back from injury at the start and he looks to have really um, found his radar and. He's bowling really sharp. He's got a five-round average of 70 in Supercoach, uh, really hard to get away. So I think I'm probably going to keep the faith with Barendorf and 
uh, holding him in my side. He's done so well for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, how about you, mate? What do you think? Uh, yeah, the other thing we've just touched on, Barrow, he's a, he's a Canberra boy, Jason Berendorf, so back on the uh, home deck at Monica Oval. So hopefully the big fella knows the chuck inside out and can get a bit of juice out of a bit of bounce out of the deck. But uh, good luck with that. Um, no real must-haves for me. I think Jai Richardson's just the obvious one who I don't think we need to touch on. He's just – I haven't really owned him all season, which has been good for the last couple of weeks, but um, overall has absolutely killed me, especially not having him for his big one 180-odd one week a few rounds back. Um, but, mate, probably a few antipod opportunities at the Scorchers. Yeah, I think so. I think one that I'll look to leave out, given he's been a bit up and down this season, is Andrew Ty. I, I think he'll probably be pretty popular having had a decent week last, last up. But, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to take the risk with him. I think the the pitch and the, and the ground won't really suit him and you've got to leave someone out and he's probably the guy in that Scorchers attack I'm, I'm happy to let go. Yeah, I think uh, I think just bowlers for me in the Scorcher side at Monica. Um, sorry for bringing that up over and over and over again. It's probably pretty bloody annoying. But uh, Richo will be locked in. But yeah, I think you know guys like Ahmed, Berendorf, Ty, all guys that I'll probably avoid. And as I mentioned earlier, I'll be looking to get bowlers from the first game of the round up at the Gabba. Um, so yeah, just the bowlers from the Scorchers outside of Richo, who's just an out-and-out gun. And mate, your pods at the Scorchers. Yeah, I think... Hopefully he's still in pod territory, but Liam Livingston has a five-round average of 76 with a stack of runs and three wickets, although he generally only bowls one over at a time. Uh, that works okay because I think they tend to try and use him just as someone to entice the batsman a little bit uh, with his, his leg spin, and uh, he's able to jag a wicket. You, you're not going to get any economy rate bonuses out of him because he is unlikely to bowl three overs, but um, always handy there. Um, yeah, hopefully he does get an overall two. And then Josh Inglis uh, could be intrigued by if Carey fails as the emergency loop, uh, although I would prefer him at the top of the order. Um, I think Inglis is around 150K, which is a, a pretty good price still. So decent shout for, for another batsman, I think, batting around fourth. Yeah, I don't think there's much between the top order at the at the Scorchers. Livingston, as I mentioned earlier, has been massive for me in the last few weeks. But, you know, he's bowled in three of his last four matches. He's hit 20-plus runs for that strike rate bonus in five of his last six matches, which is really, really good, consistent scoring for Supercoach. Um, but when you talk about Inglis, Colin Munro, who had a good little run of scores there for a while, um, Jason Roy, there's not much separating them. We're probably going to have to, you know, drop one or two of those in our batting spots for our side. Um, you know, I, I find it really hard to separate that top order, mate, for my Supercoach side, except for Livingston, who will definitely be in there. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think that's a good shout. And it's probably not the worst tactic if you think the Scorchers are going to win to to load up on that top three. Mm. Um, there could be an opportunity there, but... Uh, Personally, I'm probably going to be looking to people who can roll the arm over as well. But if you think the Scorchers will get on top, um, by all means, I could understand that. And, and Munro uh, has really carried his form from earlier in the year in the Caribbean Premier League into the Big Bash this season. So I've, I've really enjoyed watching him, even though I haven't had him in my side. 
Hmm. Nice one, mate. The only one possibly with Inglis is that they've chopped and changed a little bit, but Munro will likely bat at three. Roy and Livingston to open. Um, Inglis, I'd say, batting at four there. So maybe if you're going to opt, if you're tossing up between them, maybe go the guys higher in the order just for the security if the, the top order do go off, which might limit Inglis's opportunities there. Mate, at the Sydney Thunder, few, a lot of interesting options there and potentially a few pods. Who are the must-haves, though? Yep, I think Alex Howes, you can pretty well just lock him in and then not have to worry about him. Daniel Sams, if he's playing, he's been outstanding, close to the best player in Supercoach when he's available. And if he's out, I think Ben Cutting takes his role, uh, which might be controversial as a must-have, but I, I, I'd happily slot Cutting in if Daniel Sams <clears throat> isn't playing. Uh, mm. But... but uh, if Sam's is, uh, that, that takes cutting out of consideration for me. Yeah, it's a great call, mate. Um, and, and so mo- monitor that, monitor if Sam's is playing. I think obviously if he's there, Sam's is a must-have. He's, I mean, you could argue he's probably the best player in Supercoach at the moment in terms of scoring, averaging 68 this season. Finally, finally got his opportunities with the bat this year and has been sensational within, I think, a couple of half centuries. Um, so he'll be in and you know probably my captain if he does play, which I believe is expected to play. Um, mate, antipods at the Thunder. Yeah, I think Tanvir Sanger. Unfortunately, he just doesn't seem to get a consistent number of overs. He's, he's sharing with Chris Green, which I guess is understandable in his first season. So even though he's been brilliant this season, I, I don't think you can take him uh, when he's not guaranteed his number of overs. And a, a few people might be attracted by the, the name given how well he's done this season. Hmm. Um, mate, you'll uh, you'll want to belt me through the microphone, but antipod opportunity, Alex Hales. Uh, again, not saying I'm doing this. I'm probably going to have Alex Hales, but I want to antipod one of Hales or Chris Lynn just because I just I want my team to be slightly different to everyone else's, and I can see teams having very very similar lineups. Um, purely the fact with Hales that you know, again, I've, I've dwelled on about it, but if he scores low, he's going to be – he'll be close to 100% ownership in terms of active supercoach players still going. Um, I see opportunity there, but it'll also depend where the Thunder play. If they play on a bit of a dodgy deck, I don't know if you know if it's been announced where well, – I don't think we'll know where he's playing, but if it's a dodgy deck, I'll be happy to antipod Hales. Uh, but if he's on somewhere like Monica or a good batting oval, um, you know, I think you have to probably have Alex Hales. <laughs> what do you reckon? Yeah, I, I think – you're probably, uh, yeah, a little more used to the antipods than I am, and and I reckon you're right. Like, you you got to actually take a a punt somewhere if you want to make up ground, and and batters are the probably the best place to do that. I mm. I would probably be looking at things like venues and matchups to make that call. I, I think the Thunder won't actually play until next round in Supercoach. So, yeah, yeah, so he's not a consideration for, for this round anyway. But um, when it happens, he's, he's one who you could look to leave out. Um, that's a decent shout, mate. I understand how you uh, did all right in our NRL last year. Yeah, I just think that, like, I mean, if you're sitting top 100 at the moment, you're going, all right, everyone's going to have Daniel Sams. They're going to have Alex Hales, Chris Lynn, Jai Richardson, you're going and and you're behind by 200 points at a chance at winning 25k or whatever the top prize is. I need something different to to these guys above me or, or around me, and and someone like Alex Hales, I think, is the play, um, or one of those guys who who are only batters, mate. Pods, who've you got? 
Yeah, I think Milne really came on in the last couple of rounds and he's nice and cheap and maybe someone who people might look to leave out uh, given his season super coach average. And Sam Billings, uh, a bit of poor runner form the last two matches, but before that he was going really well. Again, he's another one who bats middle order and I probably prefer top of the order, but uh, when it comes to the next round and we have to make a decision on our wicket keepers, he's uh, definitely someone who's going to come into considerations, I think. Yeah. Adam Milne, I, I was bewildered by his performance a couple of games back where he took one for six off four overs. I think he's absolute class. Probably He hasn't had the tournament he'd like to have. His injury interrupted a little bit at the start, but... I really do. I've been saying this for a while, but I think there's a big performance coming from Milne. Um, unfortunately, the, there was that rain-affected match last round in round 13 where it might have only bowled two or three overs, but uh, he will be straight into my side. He's very cheap as well, so I'm hoping his supercoach season average puts people off, but I think Milne's a great go, and he'll be definitely in my side. Uh, mate, let's get on to our bowl predictions for the finals. Um, just quickly recapping our regular season run home bulge from our last podcast. <clears throat> so that was done for the final three rounds of the season. Um, the fellas aren't here, but they absolutely sizzled with them. Tomo had Hales or Kawaja for a hundred plus average. It was a fail, but Hales did average 91 in Supercoach. So that's some pretty serious numbers there and not far off. This one's huge from Tomo. Tomo had Aaron Finch no 20 plus run inningses. For the final three games, he had six, four, and ten. Mate, how good's that from the the defending champ? Mate, that's outstanding. I I listened to that podcast, and I wish I had have taken more notice from from the dual champ. Um, yeah, he's all <laughs> over it. Uh, he also had Daniel Sam's one hundred and sixty plus single game. That was null and void because he was out injured. The spy, um, I hate tooting the the spy's horn, but he'll be listening very happily. Darcy Short, a 70-plus average for the run home. Nailed it. He averaged 90 for the last three games. Jai Richardson, 80-plus average. He averaged 79, so it's a fail, but it's about as good a fail as you're going to get. Uh, And then he had Alex Hales to average 70-plus for the run home, and he averaged 91. Um, So, Fish, the spy, absolutely sizzling. Yeah, he's definitely turned around his NRL form by the sounds of it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I let us down. I had Darwin Milan, who I've I've uh, lived and died by in the past probably six, seven rounds. I had him to get a ton. He did not do that. And I had Adam Zambard to be the top wicket taker in the last three rounds. He got one wicket, so I was not even close. Milan didn't have a half century. Zampa one wicket. Anyway, moving on to round 14, where we'll try and rectify it a little bit. Mate, what have you got for round 14? Yeah, I've really tried to be sensible this round after uh... – what's happened to me this season. So uh, we can call these sensible bold predictions. Uh, So I've got minus 120 plus, so that's still pretty bold. Uh, But I'm (laughs) I'm backing him into... uh, Yeah, yeah. Roll the arm over and and continue his good form with the bat. Uh, Jai Richardson, I think, will go 100 plus, uh, which he's done multiple times this season. And uh, Mitch Swepson, I reckon, will go 80-plus uh, just to confirm my leg-spinning theory against the strikers. Mate, for bold predictions, seriously, that is, that's all time. You're a loose, you're a loose unit fish. <laughs> I'm really not. I've, you've just given me an opportunity to be, but yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I've got uh, Philip A to go 100-plus supercoach points. 
And I've got Travi had to go 100 plus as well. I think now that he's rolled in the arm over, he can sneak a wicket in there. He'll get a half century and he'll be 100 plus. So Travi had to go big for me as well. Mate, we'll wrap it up with, we we're going to go through our round 14 trades, but you know there's 16 players to go through. We've mentioned everyone that we're keen on. Um, so we're going to talk about our skippers for round 14. What are you looking at? Yeah, pretty boring for me in terms of skippers, which probably means uh, I might have to look at antipods if I'm going to make up ground. But uh, I'll be VCing Marnus and uh, captaining Joe Richardson in all likelihood. Mm, nice, mate. Does does the Monica Oval deck impact your decision on Joe Richardson a little bit? Does that make you a little bit hesitant, or did you just muscle shine? It, it does. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Then uh, I, I would consider someone like a, a Philippe, but I really don't like captaining batsmen and I can't really see any all-rounders in that match who I like. Joe Richardson's probably the closest thing to it. So I'll probably go with Richo still. Uh, hopefully Marnus comes through in the first game and, and I won't have to worry about it. But, um, yeah, I don't, there's not really any other options I like in that match. Yeah. I'll be uh, at this stage going Travi Head for vice-captain in game one and then my captain... Again, not, not a heap of uh, gun all-rounders, but Sean Abbott uh, hopefully gets a bit of a chance with a bat late in the order, but potentially unlikely. Um, a real sneaky one, depending on how my round's going, is Liam Livingston, who, who's been good to me lately. I was able to loop him last round, but top of the order at Monica and bowling a couple of overs each game. I think that's just serious scoring potential there for a bloke who's been pretty consistent with the bat um, over the last sort of five or six rounds. So I think Livingston's a bit of a sneaky one, and, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that anyway. Guys, that is all wrapped up for our Big Bash Supercoach podcasting season. There'll be more articles to come uh, as we go for the run into the grand final. Um, But just want to say thank you very much for everyone who supports in our inaugural BBL season. Uh, I say this time and time again, but the Supercoach community does absolutely rock. They're so supportive. Obviously, our first year in Supercoach is just wrapped up um, and all the different pages and podcasts who gave us shout-outs and and plenty of support was outstanding. So thank you very much to you lot. Uh, I cannot wait for the NRL preseason to start. We'll be launching our content very, very soon, um, before you know it. And the first podcast will be next week sometime once we get a, a time to look all over every player in the competition and start till four in the morning, despite the fact that we're still six weeks from a game of footy. Guys, all your feedback is very much appreciated. We want to make this website and the podcast better and better and better. So if you could take the time to to flick us an email at supercoachplaybook at gmail.com or just maybe message us on Twitter or Facebook, whatever's easiest for you. Any input on articles, uh, what we can do better on the website, what can be better about the podcast would all be greatly appreciated. Um, But otherwise, guys, thanks for the Big Bash season and thank you to you, Fish. Yeah, completely agree, Timmy. It's it's been great fun and uh, thanks for having me and, and thanks, everyone, for listening. You've been a cracker, mate. All right, cheers, guys, and we'll see you back podcasting for the NRL preseason. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.